This is Women of Grace Live, discussing issues important to your life and faith. Spiritual insight, practical wisdom. Join us as we transform the world one woman at a time. Women of Grace, for such a time as this. Now, here's your host, Johnette Williams. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams. Very happy to be with you today. You know we love to spend this time with you Monday through Friday right here on Catholic Radio. We love to talk about issues of importance to your life and your faith. We're always looking for ways in which we can uh, edify each other and build up this mystical body of Christ as we face the challenges and contentions uh, individually and corporately uh, all of the time knowing that God has a plan for us and holding on to that reality. Always like to remind you to give us a call here on Women of Grace Live. Uh, We do invite you to use the call-in number at 833-288-EWTN when we're taking calls. But today, we're not taking calls. We are dipping into uh, a lot of the calls that have been left with us uh, on our comment line. That number that I just shared with you, which is our call-in number, 833-288-EWTN, becomes our Uh, comment line after 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So I invite you to use that number after 4 p.m. Eastern Time and to leave a question for us. Uh, We're always happy to receive those questions. We also receive them by sending them to womenofgrace at EWTN.com, womenofgrace at EWTN.com. If in the subject line you put women of grace, then those uh, great individuals that segment all of that mail that comes in will be sure that we get uh, your email and we'll answer that question on a day like this as well. So we're holding calls today. We're dipping into that uh, uh, comment line, uh, caller bag, so to speak, of all of the calls that you've left with us. But before we get there, I do want to remind you about some of the things that are happening through the course of uh, this weekend. As you well know, February the 3rd, that's tomorrow, uh, Jack and I are going to be in Boca Raton, Florida. We are going to be presenting a marriage retreat at St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church. Uh, Very, very eager to be with all of the good people there in Boca and uh, from the uh, other areas for, uh, from which they're coming to join us for this beautiful day. Uh, we're looking forward to that. And I would ask that you would remember us in your prayers uh, because, you know, it's an important thing. Marriage is under such attack today. And we certainly do want to provide some insight uh, for those people that are coming and really to open up, uh, you know, an opportunity for them to enter more deeply into the graces of their matrimony. This is something that we always can be exploring. We know that grace is a participation in the divine life, so we can never exist exhaust it. Those matrimonial graces are just invested uh, with uh, such joys and and such uh, uh, great insights and wisdom for us as we seek to live that abundant life and to share it with others by way of the sacrament that is ours if we're married. So we're going to be exploring some of those graces. I know that we always grow from these days. The conversations that we have with people and the interaction that takes place there is always edifying for Jack and for me, uh, nourishing us in our union as husband and wife as I'm sure uh, the same applies to everybody that comes. So uh, we're asking for your prayers for that. Want to remind you also that I am going to be in State College, Pennsylvania. Really looking forward to this. Uh, I've been sharing with you about
about it for uh, a little while now. The fact of the matter is, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, are going to be presenting to the church. I'm going to be there at Our Lady of Victory Catholic Church on February the 16th. Uh, I'm going to be talking to the people that evening, uh, I think, about a very important topic. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the thriving as Catholics in a post-truth world. You realize, of course, that uh, State College, Pennsylvania is the town uh, where uh, uh, Penn State is located. So it's a college town. It's a secular college town. Uh, so when you think about that, you realize that uh, within, within our college campuses today, so much of what is being presented has to do with all of the isms that are rampant in our day and time. What would those be? relativism, humanism, secularism, materialism, right? All of these isms that really uh, have, have clamored for the, the mind of the culture and uh, are so antithetical to the revealed truth of sacred scripture and the teachings of the church. We as Catholics are called to be witnesses in the world today. What is a witness? Well, a witness is one whose own life testifies to the reality of God with us, testifies to the reality of Emmanuel. So how do we thrive as Catholics in a post-truth world where everything in the culture of the day speaks against that which we affirm? It isn't easy. We need all of those beautiful virtues that come to us by way of, of a life in Christ. We need all of the graces that come to us through the sacraments. We need all of the graces that come to us through the intercession of heaven. Uh, so how do we take that reality? How do we take those graces? How do we take those truths? And how do we apply them to this moment in time? And we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we really are. I think it's going to be a uh, wonderful evening together. It's a parish-wide presentation. It begins at 7 p.m. Uh, it is preceded by the Stations of the Cross at 6.30 p.m. Wonderful way to begin this, especially as we look at the great gift of our salvation, the redemptive grace that forever flows down Calvary's Hill into every moment in time, including this moment in time, and how it is that we, in a sense, harness that, you know, through interiority and intentionality. How do we harness that and begin to bring that to bear in our own personal lives, in, in, in our own relationships with others, but also in the corporate world of man uh, as we seek to live this life at this moment uh, in man's history. So that's going to be at 7 p.m. at Our Lady of Victory Catholic Church there in State College, Pennsylvania. The next day, it's going to be a Catholic's, Catholic Women's Conference. The day begins with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. There'll be a light breakfast, and we're going to feed you at lunchtime too. I'm going to give you two presentations. The first one is in the morning. Who is woman? Our special call and mission in a challenging world. We never thought we would be facing such a question, right? Uh, isn't it uh, abundantly clear who woman is? Well, apparently not. Not in our day and time, once again, where relativism holds sway. So we're going to be talking about who is woman, and we're going to be talking about this uh, from the perspective of heaven. Uh, by the way, uh, through the, through the uh, uh, insights that we have regarding the human person in general, but specifically the female person created in the image and likeness of God, who is woman. And then what is the special call in woman in every day and time, but especially at this moment in the history of man? 
I think it's going to be, uh, you know, an exploratory adventure for all of us uh, as we proceed in that direction through this talk. In the afternoon, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about what is that special call and mission in the morning for the woman. In the afternoon, we're going to talk about how to execute the mission. Uh, I'm going to give you steps for success, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. You know that's got to be an acronym. Uh, we're going to be exploring that acronym and talking about how we can take those steps, make use of those steps and move forward in those steps for the sake of our culture, for the sake of our personal uh, family lives, and for the sake of our own spiritual integrity. So I think it's going to be a lovely day. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm inviting you to join us. Uh, you know, if you live anywhere in the area, please do drive in. Uh, I know uh, the area a little bit, having graduated from Penn State, haven't been there for a long time, so I'm sure it's a little bit different. But you can drive in from Pittsburgh. You can drive in from Harrisburg. You can drive in from Altoona. You can drive in from Johnstown. Uh, you can drive in from so many areas, as well as uh, your own <laughs> little town there of State College, Pennsylvania. So I'm hoping that you're going to join us for this beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Well, as I mentioned to you, this is is a day that we are going to be listening to the comments that have been left for us and answering those questions. So we're not taking calls today, but I invite you to stay with us. Why? Because you just might hear your own call being answered and you might find that someone else's question is your question too. So inviting you to stay with us right here on Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Resetting my timer. You ready to go? Yes. All right, ma'am. Here we go. Transforming the world one woman at a time. Let's return to Women of Grace with Johnette Williams. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams, and I'm delighted to be with you today. Today is one of the days when we listen to the comments that have been left with us on our listener comment line. And we're not going to be taking your questions. We'll be answering these questions today. Do want to let you know that you can leave a question for us on the comment line as well. Let me give you the number. It's easy breezy. It's the same number that you use to call in, 833-288-EWTN. Only difference is you use it after 4 p.m. Eastern time. Why? Because that is the time that all of our live shows are off of the air. So that number is useful for you to leave your comment at that time. So we invite you to do exactly exactly that in the future and <coughs> <coughs> sorry about that <coughs> and <coughs> and on a day like today we will take that call and we will answer it well uh, uh, excuse me i'm sorry <coughs> i'm sorry rich no problem ma'am. i'll get you cleaned up Okay, thanks. I'll do that again. And on a day like today, we'll take your comment that you leave for us there. So, Rich, let's get to that very first caller. Hello, my name is Jesse from Atlanta, Georgia. And I have a question about, um, I have an aunt that's in Austria. She has a adulterous relationship. Uh, and uh, we don't know how to deal with it as a family. Uh, we're trying to do a gospel study every day, 
and I try to com- confront her about the situation, but uh, it seems to be very daunting because uh, we don't want to be judging her uh, on that. So uh, we really wanted to know how to approach this kind of dilemma as far as uh, the, uh, the sinful nature of the adultery and how to, to deal with it in, in, a, in the most loving way. My name is Jesse from Atlanta. Thank you. Well, Jesse from Atlanta, thank you so very much for your call. And it is very difficult when we have family members that are living a life that we know is one that is outside of the will of God. Uh, We don't have to question that. We know that adultery is a mortal sin. It's a sin against the sixth commandment. Uh, And so you see this loved one living that way, and you are worried for her soul. And I would suppose that you are also concerned about the scandal that this causes to other members of the family, especially the younger members of the family who are living in a world where cohabitation is acceptable. Uh, And, of course, you know, for even younger children who wonder about this relationship and can't quite figure it out in their little minds. My suggestion to you is is, is a fairly simple one. Uh, You know, I don't know and can't tell really from your phone call if you've taken the opportunity to talk with this family member, to sit down and share with her about the realities of of this situation, Uh, beginning with, of course, the most important, and that is her eternal salvation. Uh, We kind of have become very good at rationalization in our day and time justification. And it was interesting because, you know, I read a headline uh, just this morning that mentioned the word sin. We don't hear that word spoken of in our culture today. We rarely hear it preached from the pulpit. And so we're left to believe as a, as a culture that sin no longer exists, that there is no such thing as sin, that it's some kind of an archaic uh, idea that came from the middle ages or some such thing. And that uh, anything that we do today uh, that we consider to be not harming someone else is perfectly fine. But that isn't the case. What we do know about sin is that sin affects every level of the created order. Let me repeat that again. It affects every level of the created order. And we see that right away in Genesis uh, when man falls and becomes victim to the wily tactics of the evil one and sins against God. It all happens in Genesis 3. And we see that as soon as Adam uh, is it, it succumbs to temptation, tempted by Eve, but as soon as Adam succumbs to her temptation to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree in the garden that God had forbidden them to eat from, as soon as he eats of it, disorder begins to reign. Covenant is broken with God. The man and the woman realize that and experience that. Covenant is broken between the man and the woman. We see that when God comes looking for them in the garden. They're hiding, of course, which is an indication that they already know that they have, they have uh, uh, damaged their relationship with God and they're in fear now. Fear never was part of the human existence up to that point in time. We see, of course, then how this uh, disharmony that is caused first with God, then with each other, extends to the created order. Because as God meets out the consequences of their action, he makes mention of that to Adam. You know, whereas the soil once produced with very little effort on the part of man, now it's going to come by sweat of his brow. 
and man who is created out of the dust of the earth will return to the dust of the earth. In other words, he will die. And so we see that on every single level of creation, there is an effect. And this is on the ground and it's in the heavenlies, inclement weather, etc. All of this is a result of sin. It causes disorder and chaos. And the greatest breach, of course, is between the soul and God. And this is the breach that you're concerned about with your relative. I would sit down and talk with her. I would explain to her how much it is that you love her. You love her enough to risk her goodwill in this life for the sake of the good that will come by the will of God in the next life. That is a very big deal. She may not receive it well, but she may. Prior to uh, the time that, that you'll have the conversation, I would really encourage you to pray. I would encourage you to pray the rosary. I would pray. I would encourage you to pray the novena, uh, beautiful novena to Our Lady Undoer of Knots that uses the rosary as its backbone. I would encourage you to have a mass or two or three or nine, a novena of masses prayed for her. We can help you with that at our website. In addition to that, I would remember her at every holy sacrifice of the mass and in every communion so that you, at least spiritually, are working toward uh, the best uh, possible outcome for this meeting. So I would do that. Um, And I would explain to her too uh, that obviously your first concern is, is for her soul. Your second concern is for the family the family at large. Your second concern is for uh, the young people who, uh, you know, may be in their, uh, uh, you know, young adult lives that that might look at her example and say, well, if it's okay for her, it's okay for me. Or even as a reinforcement to what they already believe, uh, because perhaps they've been swayed by the culture in that regard already. And also for the little children, who you have to struggle to name the relationship, uh, you know, uh, that exists there between, uh, your loved one and, uh, and, and the gentleman and, and to try to explain who that gentleman is and what the children should call that gentleman. So all of these things, I think you can explain to her in a logical fashion. Um, I, you know, and, and, Obviously, we speak these these hard truths with great love. We should speak everything with great love. Uh, these hard truths especially need that presence of, of uh, our loving uh, heart, our loving uh, disposition, and our loving intention towards that person. Very difficult uh, conversation to have. I'm not suggesting that it's easy, but have it, I think that you must especially because you are, are, are feeling that, uh, that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit in you, enough to make a phone call about it today. So all of those things, I think, are very important uh, for you to consider. And I think that that's really the only way uh, that you are going to be able to, to approach this situation. Uh, and so that's, that's the direction that I would encourage you in. Finally, I would say that it's not good for the relationship between, uh, between her and, and, and the man that she's living with, that that doesn't yield fruit in a relationship. Uh, you can quote her statistics, statistics to people sometimes matter. Most of the time they don't matter, but she'll know on some level that the satisfaction 
uh, the, the, the joy, the, the, uh, the fulfillment that she should be feeling is not there. Uh, so I, I would really um, encourage you to take that kind of an approach, and I hope that helps you. Uh, and, and Father, we just ask that you would bless uh, Jesse as he seeks to speak these hard truths to uh, his loved one. We would ask, Lord, that you would anoint him, that the words that come forth from him would be words from your own heart. I pray that you, St. Joseph, uh, would intercede for Jesse uh, so that he carries your holy manly presence into this conversation, uh, but also that it is touched by uh, the, the meekness that you display so beautifully, uh, a meekness, meaning controlled passion, uh, that, that, that he is able to uh, hold back any emotions that he might have that could spill over and be received in a negative way. And we offer you this prayer, Father, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the merits of his cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the maternal beatitude and intercession of our blessed lady. Amen. All right, Rich, we probably have another caller there, right? My name is James in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I have a two-part question. One is, if I pray for the souls of those departed, are they aware of it? My second question is, does a soul from a departed have a commitment to time or know what time is about? Thank you. Well, thank you. What an interesting question you're asking today. And, uh, you know, let's take the first part uh, first. And the question is, you know, do uh, the holy souls in purgatory have an awareness of the fact that we're praying for them? Uh, My understanding uh, is that if it is beneficial for them to know, then God permits them to know. I like to think of the fact that all of the deceased loved ones that that uh, are in my family, uh, my son and my husband, for example, my parents, um, uh, uh, all of the uh, holy souls of my deceased loved ones and friends, that in some way there is a knowledge of the fact that these prayers are going up and that I am praying for them. What I think they most definitely experience is the effect of those prayers. Remember that the souls of of those that are in purgatory can no longer merit grace. Their days of meriting grace end with their last breath, right? Uh, That being said, however, our prayers do have an efficacy for them. We help them. We help them by way of our prayerful intercession for them. And so there is an efficacy to our prayers for them, especially when that prayer is the holy sacrifice of the mass. Uh, There is an efficacy there. And I think that that efficacy is felt. And in some way that I don't know, having never been to purgatory, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, I think that there is a, there is an intuition or a communication of that through heavenly means that, that makes them aware of the fact that someone is praying for them. If it's beneficial for them to know exactly who that person is, I am sure heaven makes that known to them. Now, the second part of your question, do they have an awareness of time? Well, remember that they are now in eternal life. And in eternity, there is no time. Time is something that is limited to this uh, particular, uh, you know, uh, moment that we're in. Isn't it hard to speak about time without referring to time? (laughs) Yeah, moment is time, right? Uh, But let me put it this way. Time is something that is limited to this dimension. Uh, you know, of, of existence. So we know time, God created time, he created time for man, 
Okay, so uh, God, time itself is 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 a part of God's created order. This is the created world. Eternal life is is something quite different than that, and there is no time in eternal life. Everything is immediately present. Now we might ask the question: Does the soul have a recollection of time? Does the soul have a recollection of what time was and could they in some way apply that to the moment that they're in? And I, I, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if they have a recollection of time. I, I think that uh, a memory is a faculty of the soul. So I think that in some way there is a memory, but they're outside of that and everything's immediately present to them. So, you know, and I think that we have evidence of that in the sense that when we stand before the throne of God, uh, when our soul separates from our body, uh, you know, the entirety of our life, they say, flashes before our eyes. We see all of it. Well, why is that? It's because we are in the eternal moment and everything is immediately present in the eternal moment. Very hard for us to be able to uh, comprehend, given the fact that we still are, 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 located in time and everything for us has a a past, a present and a future, but not so for the soul. Everything is immediately present. Uh, So uh, that's the way that I would answer your question. I hope that that helps you. I do want to refer you to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a beautiful, beautiful book for all of you to have, because this is the substance of what the church really teaches, not what we think the church teaches, not what others think the church teaches, but what the church really teaches. And uh, if we go to uh, the Catechism and we go to paragraph 1030 through 1032, we're going to read about purgatory. And I do believe that there are other references to it uh, in in other places uh, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but it can help you very much. And I thank you for your question. It's a really good question. I love to talk about purgatory. I love to talk about the holy souls. Remember, my dear friends, that in there's a very good chance, I won't say it's the only chance, but there's a very good chance uh, that we one day might be in purgatory. And we certainly do want uh, our loved ones who remain on the earth, as well as our friends, and even those who don't know us to be praying for us. I know that one of the things that was of great concern to Father Benedict Rochelle uh, when he was passing was that people wouldn't pray for him. We want to make certain that we pray uh, for our deceased loved ones and our deceased friends and and people that have been close to us in our lives, even people that we may never have met. Uh, One of the beautiful, beautiful ways in which we pray for the holy souls in purgatory is for all of those uh, holy souls that no one is praying for. Remember that purgatory is not uh, something that that Protestants uh, recognize uh, and realize and so all of those deceased souls of people who died uh, as Protestants uh, are likely not receiving prayers from their loved ones who are still living or from people who knew them. And so I think that there is a, a responsibility uh, upon us uh, as, as members of the mystical body of Christ, um, you know, this communion of saints, part of which is the church militant ourselves and uh, the church suffering, the souls in purgatory, the saints in heaven, the church triumphant. Now, just as the saints in heaven pray for us, we, I do believe, have an obligation to pray uh, for those holy souls for whom no one is praying. Uh, so it wouldn't hurt you every once in a while uh, to remember them in your rosary if you don't, to remember them in your communion if you don't, maybe to have a mass prayed or a novena of masses prayed uh, for those souls for whom no one is praying. What a beautiful, beautiful 
spiritual work of mercy. That is, one of the spiritual works of mercy is to pray for the dead. So it's a spiritual work of mercy, a very beautiful one. Will you hear that music? We're going to a break. We're going to be right back inviting you to stay with us right here on this Women of Grace Day where we are answering the calls that you have left for us on our listener comment line. We're going to be right back on the other side of the break. I'm Johnette Williams. This is Women of Grace Live, and we are just delighted to be with you today. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams. Very happy to be with you today. I certainly am. Today is a day when we're dipping into the calls that have been left for us on our comment line. We invite you to use that comment line as well when you cannot reach us during the daytime hours. 4 p.m. Eastern time is the time that our call-in line becomes a comment line. And that's 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. On days like today, we don't take your call. Uh, live. We uh, dip into that bag of, of calls that have been left for us and we respond to them. Love these days. It allows me to get a little bit more into detail with you on a wide variety of topics that have been left for us there. Do want to remind you to get out to our website, womenofgrace.com. Uh, all kinds of beautiful resources available for you there that you can access right there online, but also, uh, you know, that you can attend. So I want for you to look underneath our upcoming events section there. You'll be able to see where we're going to be and when we're going to be there. I was telling you about a couple of places uh, earlier in the program today, but I do want to mention to you something that's happening in April, and I'm so excited about this. Our Benedict Institute for Women is going to be relaunching uh, in April with a spring week-long immersive class at Our Lady of Florida Spiritual Center located in North Palm Beach, Florida, right there on the Atlantic Ocean. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting. We are very excited about this. You can come for spiritual enrichment, but you can also come to use this course toward a certification in Catholic women's leadership. Uh, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, who is our academic advisor, will be teaching this week-long immersive. It is called Who is Woman? The Journey from Eve to Mary. It is going to be a wonderful time together, filled with great opportunities for interaction with other women, uh, as well as interaction with uh, our presenter, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, Bishop William Walterscheid, Auxiliary Bishop in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, who is our spiritual advisor, will also be joining us for this week. He will be there celebrating the Mass for us, leading us in morning and evening prayer. Also, will listen uh, and hear confession, uh, but he will also uh, be there for Council, and he will be presenting within the context of this week long uh, many, many uh, presentations uh, on a given topic. We have yet to determine that topic, but it's going to be cohesive and it's going to be beautiful. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we are, are so looking forward to this and so looking forward to having you join us. We already have a, a lot of interest out there, and uh, we have uh, women signing up. You can sign up too. So I want you to get out to our our website. You'll see it listed there. Simply click on it. Uh, it'll take you to a landing page. It tells you all about it. It tells you 
tells you what books you'll need to purchase. We've got them available for you at our bookstore right there online. Uh, it gives you some information about uh, Dr. Donald Wallenfang and, uh, and Bishop Walterscheid. Also, in addition to all of that, it gives you a course description. Uh, you can click on Benedicta Institute in our navigational bar, and uh, you uh, it, it will take you right into uh, all of the information about the Benedicta Institute for Women, uh, help to answer questions that you might have. And of course, you can always contact us at Women of Grace. Our toll-free number is 800 558 5452. That's 800 558 5452. I think you are really, really uh, going to um, benefit by this. I am excited about it. I'm going to be attending. I'll be a student in the class along with, uh, you know, all of the other people that have signed up thus far, but we can receive more of you. I know it's early, but you know how it goes. Time just creeps up on us. So don't delay. Uh, call right away to find out about it if you don't uh, uh, receive all of the information that you're looking for on our website, although I, it is very comprehensive there. Uh, all of that being said, I hope that you will consider it and I hope that you will join us. Uh, so that's uh, this April. When does it begin? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it begins on April the 22nd and it runs through uh, I think it runs through that Sunday. We close up that following Sunday, uh, which is April the 28th. So all of the information available for you there, Our Lady of Florida Spiritual Center, North Palm Beach, uh, Florida. Got to tell you, April is one of the best months in Florida. My goodness sakes. It's going to be beautiful. Very scenic location. Lovely spiritual refreshment, um, as well as uh, giving you the gift of spiritual knowledge too. So all of that being said, Rich Jesse, who do we have on our comment? line now. This is Nicole from Dallas. I was wondering, the Catholic faith basically praises saints like they should be praising Jesus Christ. I was wondering, Jesus Christ says, do not praise false idols. However, the Catholic faith, faith does basically praise idols that are not Jesus Christ. Like I just heard you guys talk about Mother Teresa, however, I didn't even hear Jesus Christ's name mentioned. Could you please elaborate on that, please? Thank you. Well, thank you for your call. And this is one of the reasons why I recommend everybody get a catechism of the Catholic Church, because there are many misconceptions that abound regarding the Catholic faith. And this is one of the big ones. Catholics do not worship, nor do they praise in the sense of worship nor do they praise anyone other than the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's, let's just um, acknowledge that at the beginning. Catholics do not worship idols. They do not worship Mary. They do not worship the saints. They worship God and God alone. Catholics venerate the saints. Catholics venerate the Blessed Mother. What does that mean? What does it mean to venerate? It means to hold in high esteem. It means to hold in high esteem. Just think about this in the normal situations that we see in, in our daily life. Do we not praise in the sense of hold in high esteem someone who accomplishes something great? Do we not hold up role models who are human persons for our children? Do we not acknowledge their achievements? Do we not give them awards to demonstrate our acknowledgement of their achievements? Do we not 
in a sense, venerate our sports stars? Do we not praise them for a job well done? Is that worship? Absolutely not. And it's in that sense that Catholics venerate saints and venerate the Blessed Mother. This is one of those misconceptions uh, that I'm always happy to try to clear up because nothing could be further from the truth. Catholics do not worship idols. They do not uh, 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 give to, to any human person that type of acknowledgement that belongs to God alone. As a matter of fact, there are classifications uh, of prayer, uh, uh, excuse me, of, of praise. Uh, latria is the praise that belongs to God alone. Latria, it means this, 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 this worship of one who is greater than we, the one who is the supreme being. In the other cases, it's dulia. And what is that? It is an acknowledgement, a high esteem uh, for a job well done. And these people did a job well done. These individuals who are saints, uh, our blessed lady, uh, they have obeyed the will of God and given us good witness and good example. So I hope that that helps you. And I hope it clarifies things for a whole lot of people out there because even Catholics sometimes uh, fall victim to believing that we worship saints. I don't know how you can be a Catholic and think that that's what's going on, but nonetheless, it certainly can happen. So I'm always happy to set the record straight. <laughs> this is what the church teaches. This is what she does not teach. In this case, the church teaches we reserve worship for God alone, <laughs> praise that kind of praise for God alone, and we hold in high esteem those men and those women who have lived according to the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and have attained sanctity. So there you got it. <laughs> Hope that helps. Okay, next one, Rich. Hi, my name is Saul, calling from Dallas, Texas. I have a brief question. I have a non-Christian uh, friend, non-Catholic, who says that the Eucharist is actually non-existent or is not, is not where Christ is present. He says the reasoning behind that is because there's a passage in the Bible that says that Christ was a sacrifice forever, uh, one sacrifice, not a, an ongoing sacrifice. So how could I answer to him? Thank you. Well, Saul, thank you for your question. It's a very good one. Uh, once again, these are some of the things that we hear from people who uh, really haven't taken the time to see what the church actually teaches. And you know, it, it's really, um, you know, I, I want to use the word unfair, but I think that's not strong enough. It's really unjust to uh, to put forth notions without doing research to back up that which we say is true. So this is a case where here an individual is pointing out a passage in sacred scripture, which we're going to come back to that passage because that passage is true and Catholics acknowledge that passage. But they'll point out, a, you know, a passage like that to contradict a teaching of the church while ignoring all of the other passages that speak to the truth of what the church teaches. May I simply suggest to you, Saul, that you take your friend to John 6, that you take your friend to John uh, 6. And that is that beautiful chapter in sacred scripture where Jesus talks about he is the bread of life. And unless we eat of this bread and drink of his blood, we do not have life within us. 
We know that he meant that literally, not figuratively, as Protestants will want us to believe. We know it because he repeats it over and over again. And in the um, Jewish, in the Hebrew language, uh, there, there, there are no superlatives. You know, good, better, best doesn't exist in, in the sense of, of something, uh, you know, growing greater, greater, greater. So the way in which they expressed that was by repetition, uh, generally speaking, three times. Well, in that passage, Jesus goes well beyond three times to say that he is the bread come down from heaven. He is the living bread. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life within you. It was recognized and realized by the people to whom he proclaimed that truth. It was recognized by them because we see it in John 6, verse 66. And in that verse, it says, many walked away from him because this was a hard teaching. So they walked away. Would they walk away if Jesus says, hey, this is just a symbol of me. Yeah, it's just a symbol. No, they were familiar with symbols. They walked away because Jesus meant it literally. You can point that out. You can also take your friend to Corinthians, and I'm not quite certain of uh, which Corinthians it is, uh, nor am I quite certain of what passage it is, but I can probably look that up for you while I talk, and I'll see if I can find it. Uh, But in this passage, it's St. Paul, and he's talking about what happens uh, to the people if they eat of the bread and drink of the cup unworthily. He talks about the fact that many of them are sick and even die from that. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's there. What he's doing is he is talking about uh, the, the reality that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to pay heed to that. Um, uh, 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 let me see if I can find a drink of the cup unworthily. Let me do just a very quick search and see, see if I can find that passage. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Uh, and let me read this to you. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, this is the King James Version, Protestant Bible, and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Pretty clear, right? What is St. Paul saying? He's saying that the Eucharist is the body and the blood of the Lord. They'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. King James version, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32 is what I'm reading to you. Not discerning what? A symbol of the Lord's body? A, 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 a figurement of the Lord's body? No, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep, meaning dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. All right. So it's very clear. I mean, you can read it in any Bible translation and it's going to tell you. And that's very, very clear. So 
Now, what about the passage that your friend isolates for you? There is one sacrifice. That is precisely what the church maintains. And here we have to go to Jesus' institution of the sacrament of holy orders. Here we have to go to Jesus' institution of uh, the priesthood. And he institutes the priesthood and he passes on to his priests who are ordained. And we see this, we see this there at the last supper. We see it again after Jesus rises from the dead. Uh, he, he is passing on to his apostles, his authority, his very authority. He tells them at the last supper, do this in remembrance for, of me. Now, do, what does that mean? Does that mean like, you know, a recollection of something that's happened in the past, a reenactment of it? No. In the Jewish understanding, remembering in that sense hearkens to the Passover itself. When they celebrated the Passover meal, which the Last Supper was, Jesus now taking it to a new level, uh, when they pa practiced the Passover, the Jewish people uh, believed and it was true, they were making the past present again. What happened in the past was coming into the present moment for them. Because remember this, all of the actions of God are held in the eternal moment, and the eternal moment is always in the present. You have to bear that in mind. So what Jesus is saying to them is, do likewise, do as I have done. I am giving you my authority. I am giving you my power to confect bread and wine and, and, and make them my body and my blood. And of course, then Jesus gives it. This is my body. This is my blood, he says to them. He is not talking figuratively. He is talking really and truly. We see after the resurrection, when Jesus rises from the dead and it comes to his apostles, peace, uh, peace, uh, I, uh, peace, I give you my peace. I leave you whose sins uh, you shall retain. They are retained. Whose sins you shall forgive. They are forgiven them. I might've uh, said that backwards. The fact of the matter is he is giving to his apostles, the power, the authority, his power, his authority to forgive sin. For this reason, the priest is in persona Christi. What does that mean? Or he is a, he is an altar Christus. What does that mean? Another Christ. It is Jesus acting through the priest. Now, the holy sacrifice of the mass. What is the holy sacrifice of the mass? The holy sacrifice of the mass is a representation making the past present again, dipping into the eternal moment where all things are held in the present, a dipping into that and making in time that which happened in time in the past, but is held in the present moment. And what we have here is the priest and that priest was ordained by a bishop who 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 was ordained by a bishop all the way back to the apostles, that line of succession all the way back, that power, that authority being passed on one after the other down through the annals of history to the present day and to that altar in your Catholic church. That priest, it's Jesus acting in that priest, representing to the father, that one sacrifice, that one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
So I hope that answers your question. Uh, it's, it's, it's a mystery. It is a marvel. It is uh, 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 the most loving action of God that, that, that the great gift of our salvation is represented us, make, is made is made present to us at every holy sacrifice of the Mass. This is God. It's his provision. It is the way that Jesus is always with us. So I would take those passages to your friend. I, 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 would, I would, you know, let him hear what I'm saying on the air by going out to EWTN uh, uh, on demand, uh, the radio to today's date, play it for him. Let him hear it. Um, this is a great mystery. Uh, the, the Eucharist is not a symbol. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ given to us by the Son, by the Father's will, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there you have it. I think we might have time for another one or so. Let's just see what we can do here, Rich. Hi, I am from uh, Oceanside, California, and I am a convert to the Catholic faith of 42 years and studying lots about the faith. And I wonder what's wrong with uh, confronting your pastor and your bishops. I think Catherine of Siena did that and a few others, St. Bridget. Thank you very much. God bless you. Bye. Well, thank you so very much for your call. Uh, you know, I think that, um, I, I, and I guess what I want to say is, is the uh, fact of the matter is, we are always free to have discussion with our pastor and with our bishop. We are always free to have discussion with them. Um, the word confront uh, can have various shades of meaning and various shades of intensity associated with it. Uh, my hesitation at the beginning of answering your question has to do with that reality. That was what was playing in my mind. Uh, a confrontation most typically in our day and time, has a negative uh, meaning attached to it. That we go in all riled up and angry and, you know, we lay it out on the table, right? Um, confrontation oftentimes is used uh, in place of a quarrel or a heated disagreement or even an altercation. Uh, so, I am reluctant to really use that word. Of course, there's the other shade of meaning where a confrontation is simply mean, well, we're, we're coming before somebody to talk about or to discuss an issue that is troublesome uh, and that, uh, you know, has the capacity to be divisive. So, you know, that's a much milder use of, of that word. And so I would have asked you, had you been live, you know, what, what, how, how, I would have asked you just straight up, you know, well, define for me confrontation. What does confront mean with you, to you? We are always free, I think, with respect and with love to have a discussion with our priest or with our bishop, uh, done in a civil way and done for the greater good, uh, not trying to ram an opinion uh, down someone's throat, but trying to tease out of a particularly difficult situation that which is best for the common good. I hope that helps you. It's been great being with you today. Thank you so very, very much. 
You have been listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Janet Williams. Until we have the opportunity to be together again, may God richly bless you. Get out to our website, womenofgrace.com. All kinds of good things there for you and all kinds of good events coming up. We look forward to being with you again real soon. Bye-bye now. 